from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Growing a better apple. But there better be some wow in it somewhere. See where some of your favorite varieties first got their start. It's election day and Texas voters are being asked to decide about the right to farm. Many farmers tell us they've seen better yields than expected, but what could that mean when it comes to USDA's monthly tally? I don't think it's gonna to be to the friendly side. It might be a little bit more to the negative side. A preview of what the new supply and demand report could mean for prices right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Will USDA further revise corn and soybean yields? Whatever it decides to do could impact prices greatly as farmers wrap up harvest and bring grain to sell. And today's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, what are market watchers predicting? Well, average trade guesses on corn yield depend on the survey, but there are several that are indicating an increase in corn yield versus the October WASDE. While on soybeans, there's more consensus of a yield cut. Markets will also be watching, though, for South American production as well as demand adjustments. The trade is bucking the historical trend that corn yields get smaller from the October to the November report, with many farmers indicating better than expected harvest results. Average estimates for corn are up 0.2 bushels per acre at 173.2, while soybean yields are expected to be a tenth lower, so any bigger cuts would be bullish. And I don't expect that to be a big change. Uh, I would, I'm leaning towards that the corn yield, um, it may come down, uh, but I'm, I don't have a lot of faith in that. I'm just hoping it doesn't go up a bushel and a half or more. That would be, of course, the short-term negative tone for the corn market. The soybeans, on the other hand, we're pretty confident that we're likely to see a lower bean yield in this upcoming report. Trade guesses on corn production are up slightly at 15.08 billion bushels, with ending stocks raised back up to just over 2.2 billion. Soybean production would be cut to 4.103 billion, with ending stocks up 2 million at 222 million bushels. Wheat ending stocks are called steady. So Schultz isn't looking for big demand revisions, at least yet. I think if we have demand adjustments, I don't think it's going to be to the friendly side. It might be a little bit more to the negative side. In the big picture, though, that's looking at things short term. Longer term is where I still think that the demand, and this is where the South American weather and production becomes more important. If the weather does not improve or straighten out, then the demand for U.S. corn and soybeans is going to be far better in the last half of 2024 than it was in 2023. Despite growing weather concerns in South America, Schultz thinks this is too early for USDA to make market moving adjustments in Brazil and Argentina production. I'm Michelle Brook reporting for Ag Day. You would think we've seen the last of the summertime heat, but areas of the South could see record high temperatures over the next few days. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has more. Yeah, we haven't quite settled into a cold pattern across the United States for an extended period of time yet. Uh, remember, we did have a cold spell uh, that came through last week. Uh, going forward, uh, the heat, the warmth is going to try and retreat, but check out some of these morning temperatures. 51 in St. Louis, 66 in Memphis, 60 in Dallas. More of the below freezing temperatures starting to show up 
in the Dakota. So there is some change on the way. I don't think it's going to be as drastic as we went through last week, but some cooler temperatures are out there and they'll be coming through as we get deeper into the work week and especially the weekend. But yeah, in terms of the heat, 78 in Cincinnati for a high temperature tomorrow afternoon, 83 in St. Louis, even the Windy City uh, coming in right around 60 degrees. Quick check of the temperature outlook between November 11th and 15th. There is a lot of orange and red on that graphic. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season-long sulfur availability. Beating commodity fertilizers every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic. Speaking of orange and red, check out your screen here. Beautiful shot as we're checking those yields in the fields. Uh, Matt uh, in Nebraska with this spectacular shot. Uh, he says uh, dryland yields were terrible this year with no rain. He says irrigated yields were so-so, but he says they had a lot of wind damage. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Today's election day across the country, and while the presidential race is next year, there is at least one key ag issue before voters in Texas. The state's Proposition 1 is being closely watched. It's also referred to as the right to farm. It is on the ballot in the state as a constitutional amendment. Now, it would add a new section to the state constitution that would establish a right to farming, ranching, and other ag activities on owned or leased personal property. But the right wouldn't stop the state legislature from passing laws that would regulate farming that protects public health and safety. Now, officials say the amended law is needed as a way to update protections for farmers and ranchers. The Texas Cattle Feeders Association, Texas Farm Bureau, and other ag groups have come out in support of the plan, while the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance and the Humane Society are against it, saying the amendment's language is too broad and could prevent local governments and state agencies from taking action to rein in operations that harm neighbors and communities. Speaking of legislative action, it's looking more like an extension of the 2018 Farm Bill will become a reality. Politico reporting the leaders of both ag committees in Congress are calling for an extension now. In the Senate, it's Democratic Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow and Ranking Member Republican John Bozeman. In the House, Ag Committee Chair Republican G.T. Thompson and Ranking Member Democrat David Scott. It reports that lawmakers see January 1st as the true end date for the current farm bill when many programs will revert to permanent law. G.T. Thompson says he has plans to pass a House version of the farm bill next month, but says an extension will still be necessary to create a bridge until the Senate finishes its work on the bill. Also being debated right now in Congress, more aid for Ukraine as Russia continues its attack. Now, Ukraine says Russia once again took aim at the country's port infrastructure and a museum in Odessa. It reports strikes damaged warehouses, unloading equipment and trucks with grain, as well as a museum in the historic part of the city. Eight people were injured due to the attack. Reuters recently reporting that grain shipments via rail to the Odessa region had increased significantly as the country utilizes a new Black Sea export corridor. More cases of bird flu are showing up on farms. The Iowa Department of Agriculture saying it has confirmed four positive cases of highly pathogenic avian influenza in the state. Three of the farms are in Clay County, the fourth in Hamilton County. Now in Clay County, the three sites are game bird duck farms. The site in Hamilton County is a flock of commercial breeding chickens. USDA reporting on its site that there have been 47 confirmed flocks in the last 
30 days. Minnesota also reporting a commercial table egg laying operation with 940,000 birds was impacted. Soybeans continue to march higher on fresh export information and weather in South America. We'll dig into what else is impacting markets coming up next. And later, Fuji, Gala, Honeycrisp, and Red Delicious, all popular apple varieties. We'll meet the researchers looking for the next great apple in the country from Minnesota. Another airline is preparing to use 100% sustainable aviation fuel for a transatlantic flight. Virgin Atlantic making the announcement that it has UK government approval for the flight from London to New York, although it's still waiting on approvals from US and Canadian authorities. The airline saying it plans to make the trip Tuesday, November 28th. Sustainable aviation fuel is made from non-petroleum sustainable feedstocks like ag waste, use cooking oil, woody biomass, yard waste, animal fats, or even soybean oil. Reuters says cost remains the biggest hurdle. It's currently three to five times more expensive than conventional jet fuel. Soybeans extending gains for the fifth straight session to start the week with USDA reporting a soybean sale to China and a big corn buy to Mexico. Michelle Rook has a look ahead in Marcus Now. Monday's market closes were mostly higher except for cattle futures. Vince Boddicker with Farmers Trading Company joining us. And Vince, the grains to the plus side led by soybeans once again. Are we still putting in South American weather premium or are we kind of betting on that China business or what? I think you've got South American weather. Late last week, we did take rains out of Brazil. On Monday, we did have a little bit of that put back in. But yes, we're looking for Chinese businesses and we saw in the uh, export loadings. Uh, we did have a nice week last week, and hopefully that can keep that way. But otherwise, I think technically when we got into last week when we finally closed above that 1330 region or got above it during the evening, I think that was a helpful technical side of it and got some more buying and probably short covering coming into the market. Absolutely. Seasonals also helping us out, but are we getting close to peaking on that soybean market? The system that we just by history would say that from the time you put in your harvest lows till mid-November, you usually get an 80 cent to a buck 20 rally, unless you have other news. And we came right to 99 cents on Sunday night's rally. So we're in the middle of that. I think we just really need to watch if you got some cash soybean, especially at the elevator, you need to be starting to move those. Another 20, 25 cents, you move some more. Maybe we got a big pile to go, but I don't think it's a lot. Is corn just following soybeans? Because we did have a reversal last week and we did have some Mexican business on Monday. I think that we are following, but I think technically in its own, that reversal that we saw on a potential double bottom, I think was friendly. And I think that we'll buy, find more buying, but need the wheat to come along with it. And the cattle market had a tough down day on Monday. Gap lower opening. Are you worried about that market kind of rolling over here or not? I think we're okay. The low that we put on, uh, a week ago or whatever it was, I think it was the substantial low came when it should have. But, you know, we've got lots of things in here. The market is still nervous on some world things, and they did not like the commitment to traders report showing an additional 7,000 contracts of longs liquidated last week. Inbox beef was not real attractive when we looked at last week's market under. We'll see if we can hold that together. Thanks for joining us. Vince Spotiker, Farmers Trading Company, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. 
Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. Yeah, I wanted to jump right into it, uh, looking at what's going on with the jet stream, that overall pattern, because uh, we have a, a very slow pocket of cool air that's going to drift in and across the United States. So we'll start off uh, today for your Tuesday, going to your Wednesday and Thursday, that the uh, pocket is right back up here into Canada. And we'll call this uh, more of a clipper system. Uh, the jet stream is really not going to dig that far to the south, which means a lot of the uh, coldest of the cold air will be locked back up into Canada. Now, there are going to be some fringe effects uh, back into to Iowa, Minnesota, and the Dakotas with temperatures coming down. Remember, we looked at those overnight lows back down below freezing in these locations as we trend forward. Uh, but another ridge trying to build back out to the west. And remember that graphic we looked at a little bit ago, uh, the middle of the month come November, that's the trend we're going for Saturday and Sunday. So this time next week, another ridge trying to build in and across the United States and these lines, the white lines, the farther north they go, uh, the warmer we can uh, expect those temperatures to be at the surface, all things uh, being equal. A trough trying to develop again. This is on Saturday, so by Wednesday and Thursday, of next week again now we're getting to the 10 11 10, 10 11 12 day period might start to see that next trough develop off on the uh, west coast and dig across the united states with some cooler temperatures but we're going right back up with the heat and the warmth that is a dominant ridge of high pressure especially for this time of year coming up on monday and tuesday of next week you see how far north some of those warmer temperatures go but how far north that uh, ridge that develops and moves. So precipitation outlook underneath that ridge and middle part of the month remains dry uh, along the uh, outskirts of it. We got the chance of some rain that includes parts of California and then also on the East Coast back here into the southeast, a rather dry in and across the Midwest and the Dakotas. Flip that on over to a graphic we looked at earlier just to reemphasize where we're going. Middle part of the month that does look warmer than average uh, with uh, the cold forecast or the cool forecast uh, both on the east and on the west coast. Let's go take a look what's going on in New Jersey. Rightstown, not left town, Rightstown. Uh, AM clouds, evening sunshine. As for Oklahoma, sunny, high around 85, and Beaufort, North Carolina, not Beaufort, sunny, high around 74 degrees. Large animal vets are worried about losing a popular medicine to the drug trade. We'll have details next. And later, join the hunt for the next Big Apple variety with researchers at the University of Minnesota, today in the country. It's a critical drug used in both the beef and dairy production, but it's also turning up in street drugs. And now leaders in the veterinary field are working to try and protect the drug's use for the livestock industry. The drug is called xylazine, and it's commonly used to sedate calves for disbudding or dehorning. Now, earlier this year, the American Veterinary Medical Association and the American Association of Bovine Practitioners took action. They introduced legislation that would help combat the emerging threat posed to humans through the illegal use of xylazine while protecting vets' ability to legitimately use it. There is a bill in Congress currently, the Combating Illicit Xylazine Act, which if passed would help to uh, increase enforcement of illicit use of xylazine, making that a scheduled drug, while maintaining access to the drug for veterinarians to use for our farmers and ranchers. 
Dr. Gingrich is encouraging veterinary advocates to reach out to members of Congress in support of the bipartisan legislation and to make sure that vets and producers are using the drug responsibly by keeping good records and using it when appropriate. USDA is reconvening hearings later this month on milk marketing orders. USDA hosting a national public hearing in Carmel, Indiana. The plan is to consider and take evidence on proposals to amend the pricing formulas in the 11 federal milk marketing orders. The hearing will take place Monday, November 27th at 502 East Event Center starting at 8 a.m. The next hearing will take place in early December in Zionsville, Indiana. Granny Smith, Honeycrisp, Red Delicious, these are some of the best known apple varieties. But what varieties might be the next big things? We'll meet the Minnesota researchers investigating that very question today in the country. was the perfect time to bake an apple pie and researchers at the University of Minnesota are on a quest to find the next best apple variety. And as Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan reports, we have these researchers to thank for a very popular apple variety today. The other advantage in those Delightful apples that are both appealing and delicious. That's exactly what you'll find at the University of Minnesota this time of year. Our whole goal in all of this is to give the consumer uh, an exceptional eating experience. Not an okay eating experience, not even a maybe okay eating experience, but there better be some wow in it somewhere. It's a product of more than 115 years of work and research. When the uh, program first began back, actually began even back in the 1800s, uh, it was all in response to the fact that our winters are so severe that apples could not be grown here. But in the late 1800s, growers demanded change. A group of would-be apple farmers uh, went to the state legislature, asked to have funding for a program for the University of Minnesota, and that's when we were born. In the 115 years since, the end game is no longer just survival, but now it's also taste. It didn't matter how good the apple was, how pretty it was, how big it was. If it wouldn't survive the winters, it didn't count. That has not gone away, but our genetics have evolved to the point uh, that we don't have to worry about it every single cross. We've really broken through, I think, in the world of what texture can be in apples. One of the most famous apple varieties born out of this research here is one that is known around the globe. The one that probably moved us uh, to the forefront uh, locally, nationally, and internationally was Honeycrisp. And that really broke new ground. We introduced that in 1991. Bedford says the Honeycrisp apple took 31 years to create. That's from breeding until they introduced it commercially. But then it took decades longer to take the apple industry by storm. When you bite into an apple like a Honeycrisp, it cracks in your mouth. The juice flows. You almost need to hang over a sink or something, maybe have a towel nearby. Uh, it's an explosion in your mouth. And that now has set the bar for that term, at least for us. At any given time, the apple breeding program here at the University of Minnesota has 20,000 to 25,000 apple trees in various stages of evaluation from a breeding program that's quite robust. Decades of work 
and more taste tests than even Bedford can count. It's one in 10,000 trees that make it through. Uh, in order to get to that one in 10,000 trees, we have to taste thousands of bad apples to get there. And in fact, every day when we're at the peak of the season, we have to taste about 500 apples a day. Now that probably sounds like fun to some people, but let me tell you, after the first hundred, it's not fun. And in fact, most of them are not very good. But in the end, the goal is to create an unforgettable experience and to make sure there truly are no bad apples in the bunch. All right, thanks, Stein, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Dam Club Have a great day.